Our scripture this morning is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here ends this morning's scripture reading. My uh, belt buckle, not working great. <laughs> Put it in the pocket. Well, we are looking at the book of Hebrews. And I acknowledge that when we look at the book of Hebrews and just kind of jump into it, it's, uh, it's a bit of a challenge, right? Because the, the language is, is different. It's can strike us as archaic. It uses images that are that are we're not used to necessarily. And one of those images is the one of Christ as the high priest. So we don't really have high priests as such in our culture. So what does that mean? So this text today focuses on that. So we need to think a little bit about what it means. But I think actually it's quite helpful to us as we get it. The unit that is read, that uh, Tamara read, is set up by this verse, <clears throat> which we looked at last week in chapter 3, verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And that is taken from Psalm 95, which is based on the story of the Israelites in the wilderness in Exodus 17. So when the writer uses this, and it sounds like the writer was primarily speaking to a Jewish church, so he's using, or she is using, if it's Priscilla who wrote it, images that they particularly get. So the high priest was an image that the Jewish community, first century, would have known well, obviously. The high priest went into the Holy of Holies once a year, made sacrifices for the people. So they would get that right off. For us, it's a bit more of a reach. But the verse here that the writer keeps going back to, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So it's present tense, and it's always today. 
So today is always today. It's always speaking of the Kairos moment, the moment of opportunity to hear God's voice and to hear Jesus' voice. So today, if you hear his voice, and you know, it's if, if you hear his voice. So God is speaking to us, but we have to hear it. A few years back, Beth and I wrote a book called Abba's Whisper, and the whole book is about hearing the whispers of God. Elijah goes into the cave, remember, and there's all, there's a storm, and there's lightning, and there's great wind, there's fire. All of this is going on, and he does not hear the voice of God in all of that. But when he hears the sound of silence, a hush, then he hears that and he goes outside to meet with God. So Abba's whisper, if you hear his voice. So today, that's a challenge for us. Cloudy day, gray day here in Toronto. A bit cold, you know, we come. Good for you for coming out to church on such a day. But the challenge is, will we hear his voice today if you hear his voice? So that's always, always there. Every Sunday it's that. Every day is that. Will I tune in? Will I listen to God's voice? Will I say yes instead of no? You know, will I live with open hands or do I hold close back? So this verse is important as we move and address the text that is before us. So the verse or the unit starts with a poem. So we could look at this. There's a poem, the power of the word. And the poem is maybe lifted from first century worship, and the writer uses it. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. That's an interesting little tag there at the end. And we need to remember that, all of us. The eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. You know, we, humanity is this amazing gift. You know, God has made us in a way that none of the other creatures are made. We are made in the image of God. It's an amazing gift. And God knows it's a gift. We often forget it. We just take our lives for granted. It's just a little old me. But for, in God's eyes, we are a great gift. You are a great gift. And God takes it seriously, and he says here, whom we must render an account. Now, that, that's not particularly a scary thing, I don't think, but God loves us, is interested in your life and my life, and one day there will be a little sit-down, you and God. Imagine that, you and God. Well, how did it go, Alan? You had a bunch of years down there, how did it go? You got to say yes or no, whatever you're doing, it's going to be the same with you. Tamara, how did it go? <laughs> Natalie, how did it go? Charlotte, how did it go? See what I mean? So it's just, you know, it's an interesting verse there. We forget that. 
We are created in the image of God. It's a beautiful thing. So God's word. This unit begins with this poem. We've heard this, right? We've heard this maybe growing up in Sunday school, that somewhere along the line, that verse, those couple of verses have been pointed out. But it's a poem speaking about the power of the word. God created the universe through a word, a phrase. Let there be light. And what happens? Boom. This amazing source of light. Let there be light, a word. The power of the logos, the word there is logos, which is the same word used in John 1. You remember that great unit in John 1? We talk about it at Advent a lot. In the beginning was the word. Word was was God, was with God, was God. That powerful logos. And here we begin with that. So if we just look at this a little bit, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting the word is the living word, it's zoe. Zoe is life, and it is life abundant, and it is life eternal. When we receive life eternal from, through Jesus, it's this. So the word is living. The word is not dead. It's one of the reasons why we read the word and the scriptures on Sunday, because sometimes it's the only scripture you may be looking at all week, unfortunately. You may not have heard it. The living word. And the living word speaks on its own. The living word, it doesn't need lots of application. If you read it, you read it, it will speak to your heart somehow, somewhere. It's not like you have to have some preacher stand up and preach about it, and then you get it because they've applied it. That that can be helpful. But the word speaks. It is living. It is not dead. Zoe. So then we're invited to read that living word. So can we be in the word? And can we be in the word every day? You know, we're just starting a new year, really. We're still in the first month. Can we be in the word this coming year? The living word is not a dead word. Let the word, the Logos, speak. And we see that it's powerful. It's energetic. It's effective. That's that's the word from which we get energy, energia. The word is living, sharper, so living and active, active is the word powerful, energetic, God's powerful word, penetrating, able to cut like a sharp knife. Even so, get this, piercing until it divides soul from spirit. So the word, the the high priest had a knife or a sword, which they used periodically in the offering of sacrifices. So the image here is, okay, the sharp sword. The word can penetrate so much soul that it can divide soul from spirit. Soul there is the word psyche. Spirit is pneuma, psyche. Psyche is every animal. If you have a dog, we were with the Saunders last night, and they have this wonderful little dog with lots of life. It is energetic. This little dog has psyche, has life. You see what I mean? But it's different than the word pneuma. So all creatures have psyche. Anything alive has psyche. The little ants that you see on the ground, they have psyche. But we have pneuma. 
that Greek word. We have that spirit. And that's, that's the separating thing in terms of what we have and what other creatures don't have. We, have. we are made in the image of God and we have that pneuma. The other creatures have psyche. So that pneuma, that beautiful gift, the word can divide between psyche and pneuma, a sharp, sharp knife. Clifford, my son-in-law, he loves sushi. And he can make sushi. He lived in Japan for a while. He can make it, makes it very well. And he's got knives and sharpeners that will just cut the fish. You can't cut it really well with, with a dull knife. You've got to have a specific, really super sharp knife. And that's the image that we have here. The Word of God does that. And it discerns and knows the intentions of our heart. That word discern is the only time it's used in the New Testament. It's the word from which we get judge, critic, critic. The word critic, be critical, comes here. This knife and this word can look into our hearts, your heart, my heart, and make critical decisions because the word can see, the word can know. Looks into your reality, looks into my reality. So with that in mind, all of that in mind, today we are to hear God's voice. So we have this poem to begin. So will we hear today? Today's the Kairos moment. The day or the moment of opportunity. It makes sense. What are you going to do after church today? I don't know. Right? You're going to go have lunch. Maybe meet with some friends. Maybe you go home and have a nap for a while. I don't know. Raptors play later on today, don't they? Maybe you'll watch the Raptors if you care about such things. Whatever you do, right? But it's going to be different than right here. Here's the moment where the collected body, the church, believers, we're all believers, probably here in Christ. We share something. We're very different, but we share that. And today we can hear. So this moment is different than the rest of your day. This hour is totally different. Collected body worshiping and hearing the scriptures, thinking about it. So this moment of opportunity, what do we do with the word of God? So that's where we begin, right? So the writer begins with this phrase. Thy word have I hid in my heart, the psalmist says. The law of his God is in his heart. So can we have God's word in our hearts? With that in mind, we then go to this image of the priest, the great high priest. Here we go, verse 14, 15. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Who? Jesus, the Son of God. What do we do with that? Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tested, as we are, yet without sin. Now we can read that and we can say, oh hum. Shrug our shoulders and just say, okay. Sounds old, doesn't relate to me. Wrong. These verses are actually very beautiful verses. Verses that will speak to us if we hear. So we're talking about the high priest image. Remember, we've already said that Jesus 
is this variety of images. He's the pioneer of our faith. He is the redeemer. He's the liberator. He's a priest. These are all images that come out of the first century culture and Old Testament. So the writer now picks up particularly, I want to talk a little bit more about Jesus, who, by the way, is the great high priest. I'm going to go on and talk about that. He, we learn, is our pontifex. He is our priest. Pontifex is the Latin word for priest. A bridge builder, that's what it means. That's what, that's what priest means. Bridge builder. Someone is a bridge builder, someone is a connector who will connect from this side of the church to that side. We should put in a little, little bridge here and we can kind of walk over from one side to the other side. That bridge then becomes the bridge builder. Jesus is our bridge builder. Jesus connects us with God. Do you want to be connected to God? Most likely. Why wouldn't we want to be connected with God? No, there are some who don't. I don't know, if you're in a big tunnel and you can go to the, white, the, the light or are you going to go to the darkness? Where are you going to go? Does the light attract me? Hopefully, I heard that as the, when we pass to the other side, sometimes that happens. There's a tunnel and you got a choice, so I've heard, I'm not saying. And you can go to the light or you can go to the darkness. Beryl, which way are you going? Going to the light, you're right, me too, that's where I want to go. I don't want to go back to the other side. I want light. So Jesus is the priest. Jesus is the pontifex. So he's the bridge builder. That's where it goes. That's what the word says. Who? Jesus, the Son of God. That's the text. It's the Greek there right there. Jesus. God saves. That's Jesus in his humanity. Mary, you will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. He is Jesus Humanity, but he's also the Son of God, deity. Jesus is imminent with us. Son of God is transcendent. So th this is who the high priest is, the writer says. Pass through the heavens. It seems like a strange title. Pass through the heavens. In the Jewish world, there were various levels of heaven. Paul says at one point, He's talking in 2 Corinthians that, you know, I was taken up, or a person was taken up, he alludes to himself, to the third heaven, which is paradise. And he heard things in paradise that he cannot utter. Jesus speaks to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So there was understandings of different levels of heaven in that culture. Here we're told that Jesus passed through the heavens. And what that really means is he passes into the presence of God. Passing through the heavens into the presence of God. Our priest, our bridge builder, the text says, is in the very presence of God. He advocates for you and for me. He's your friend. And when God is saying, man, Alan is really bugging me. I don't know, maybe I've had it with him. Jesus steps up and he says, well, you know, he's not that bad. He's okay. Whatever. See what I mean? Jesus is our mediator, your mediator. He speaks for you. He's your friend. And he's right in the presence of God. That's what the writer's saying. Now, that's good news. That's a lovely image. For 
Cheryl, gone to sleep. <laughs> Not you, this. For some reason it happens. Sorry, it works now? Cool, thank you. Not distance from us. He's far away, passed through the heavens, but it doesn't mean he's distant. He sympathizes. Word used twice, sympathize right here in, in Hebrews. He sympathizes with you. He sympathizes with me. And why? Because he knows our worries from experience. Jesus is human. Jesus was human. He's Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus experienced and he sympathizes with your brokenness. He sympathizes with your frailty, with your fragility, with all your hurts and your wounds, all of your misunderstanding and tensions, anger, jealousy, whatever it might be. Jesus sympathizes. Why? Because he knows from experience what it's like. Brackets without sin. But he knows the feeling. He knows the temptation. He knows deeply what it's like to be human. So that's again a lovely thing. Jesus is on our side. And he's not on our side simply by hearsay. He's on our side through experience. So that's pretty cool. Jesus with you by experience. Some of us, some of you are in pain, physical pain. Sometimes people can't come out because there's pain. Did Jesus ever know pain? Probably knew pain more than you and I know. We know how his life ended. Lots of pain. Lots of misunderstandings. Lots of criticism. Lots of people not accepting him. Saying that he's a liar. That he's betraying his traditions. His country. All of that. So Jesus knows pretty darn well how you feel. And he still thinks you're great. He loves you. He loves me. So that's Jesus, our great high peace. That's, that's that second unit, right? Stuck in there in the middle. That's great. Be worth reading that over and just thinking about it. What does that mean for you? And then it goes to the so what? Let us therefore approach the throne of grace. Note, the throne of grace. Not the throne of judgment. It's the throne of acceptance. With boldness. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Who is this Jesus? What does it mean? This is what it means. So again, if we look at that, a conscious possession of Jesus. We have, verse 14 says, we have a great high priest. You have it already. You may not be thinking about it, but Jesus is there for if you know him. We have this great high priest. Can I consciously be aware in my day-to-day -day that Jesus travels with me, travels with you? Jesus. We have a great high priest, present tense, for you, for me. Let us hold fast the spiritual persistence. Let us hold fast. That's the name of the title we're going with. Holding fast to Jesus. It's interesting, you know, our new sign out there, if you walk around the church and you see it, you can only see it from that side. It's very, very big. 
In one of the slides is the title of the sermon. It says, Holding Fast to Jesus. There's a lot of people in this community who don't know Jesus. Maybe don't know anything about Jesus. I remember I've told you the story. The class from Weston Collegiate used to come here for a while on a Thursday and, and would ask questions about faith. And I had a number of kids from different traditions, and they said, what is it about Jesus and the cross? I don't get it. I don't get this idea. Jesus on a cross. Tell me about that. <laughs> right. The teacher didn't want to really go there. He, was, he wanted us to think about the windows and the roof and the stuff like that. These people wanted to know about that. They don't get it, man. It is, you know, what does that mean? So holding fast to Jesus. How do you hold fast to somebody who lived 2,000 years ago? How do you hold fast to somebody who, who's, you know, who's Jesus, who's a Jew, comes from Israel? How do you hold fast? Well, we know that Jesus, we can hold fast to Jesus, his spirit, the person of Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We can hold fast. And everybody can hold fast to Jesus if they know. It's a choice. So will we hold fast to Jesus? I was just thinking when I walked by it and I saw that sign, holding fast to Jesus. It's a lovely slide. What are people thinking about that? Here's a revolution. We have spiritual access to God because it is a throne of grace. It is a throne of mercy. You know the story. In the Old Testament, the high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year, and only he could do it. No one else could do it. The, all of the, the Greek temples, the great temple in, in Ephesus, Artemis Temple, they had high priests. They all, all, the, all the communities, all the different traditions. And there was always this issue of who has access well, the priests had access, the high priest, but what about the average person? Now we have spiritual access to God, and we do it through prayer. Note it. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, your weaknesses, but we have one who is in every respect being tested as we are, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy. That's talking about us speaking with God. Prayer. And let us go boldly, the text says. What does that mean, boldly? It means going with confidence, and it really means that we can speak freely. It means we are accepted, and we know we will be accepted, so I can speak freely with God. I can speak about what's on my heart and mind. I don't have to hide it because you can't hide it from him anyway. So we have the freedom to speak. What's going on? Your struggles, my struggles, our challenges, whatever they are, we can speak boldly, freely. It's a throne of acceptance, not a throne of judgment. So what? So we can receive mercy. Have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. 
some of the last words my dad spoke, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. That's prayer. Receive mercy. Interesting, we receive mercy, but we have to find grace. That's how it reads. We receive mercy. God showers it. But we have to find grace. We have to go to him to know grace, to experience it. Will I receive mercy, and then will I go the extra step to find grace? So that what? So that we find God's help. And timely help, help in our time of need. Maybe right now you need God's timely help. You know, you have an appointment with a specialist. Maybe right now I need your timely help, God. Some crazy situation in your family, maybe now I need your timely help. That's what the Spirit says, that's what the writer says. We receive grace, I'm sorry, we receive mercy, find grace, receive help. So that, those, are, those are beautiful images. So that's all what's going on in this unit. And the great high priest is offering all of those things. So where do we go? How do we go home with it? You remember the story of Esther? Esther is Mordecai, her cousin, tells her that, you know, you need to go to the king and advocate for the, to the king because there's going to be a genocide against the Jewish people. We need help. And Esther's saying, well, I don't know how I'll be received. Because you can't just go in there. you got to be invited. And if I just go in there, he might not accept me, and that's the end of me. He has the right to do that. Clearly, that was done. She was afraid of doing that. How will I be received by the king? The queen is saying that. How will I be received? How will you and I be received? How will we receive according to this text? Well, we can go in confidence. We can go boldly. We can go, God, 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 man, I haven't been done very well. Maybe the last 10 years I've hardly even spoke to you. I don't know. That's where I'm at in my journey. Can I go? Go with confidence. Speak freely. God knows where you've been. So here we're told we can go in confidence, in trust, and know that we will be received. Esther finally was received, right? She goes and she's received. She's able to advocate. Great things happen. Well, God is waiting for us too. He is there for you and for me. Christ is advocating on our behalf, using that whole legal imagery. He is our friend. Great, our, our great high priest. He is our companion. He's our friend. That's fundamentally what the text is saying. We can go to the throne of grace. It's interesting, you know, when I grew up in church and I was a kid, I'd hear the, you know, the adults talking about going to the throne of grace. I heard that language a lot. After a while, I thought, you know what? Every other phrase in the Bible must be the throne of grace because they're always talking about the throne of grace. Let's go to the throne of grace. 
Actually, the phrase is hardly even used in Scripture. Throne of grace. Hardly. It's, it's not just a catchphrase. It's a beautiful phrase. Let's go to the throne of grace and mercy and help. Because God is there ready to receive you and to receive me. In spite of all of our mess-ups and our screw-ups, we know this hymn, right? Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? You want to join me? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrow share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. It's true, right? So that's the take home today. You have a friend on your journey with you, even a high priest, in Jesus' name, amen.